Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. Hey everyone, Karen here. In my conversation today with my friend Audie Penn, we cover some topics that you might think are not relevant to you, but they will make all the difference in the way that you organize your work and your teams to get great results in your job in tech. Have a listen. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. One of the favorite things I have to talk about is how we make the workplace better from the inside out. And my guest today is Audie Penn, who is an operations management specialist and expert, who's going to talk to us about some of those techniques that we use in large organizations and small organizations to make the process frustration that you're experiencing with that over the fence problem completely go away. So, Adi, I'm delighted to talk to you. We have so much fun when we get together to talk. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Karen. I'm excited about the conversation as well because in our past, we just seem to hit it off and we finish each other's sentences, which I enjoy very much. Well, that's what happens when two Six Sigma lean manufacturing lovers get together and have a conversation, I guess. Absolutely. I want you to talk a little bit about your journey here because it's such a powerful, powerful set of tools that you have deep expertise in to make life better for tech professionals. And it has to do with lean manufacturing, Six Sigma. A lot of people who are listening to us today might not know all about that. But what I would love for you to kind of kick off with here is tell me a little bit about your operations management story and how you came to this place to be passionately serving other organizations to improve their process. Sure. It goes way back. I started on this journey in the mid-90s while I worked for an organization that actually had been among the first to bring the Japanese sensei to the U.S. And and at that point in time, I was young enough not to understand or, or to know what it was that I had in front of me. And the other part of that equation is I was young enough not to know that there was a different way than what I was being shown. And so in that fortunate period of time, I was taught these tools 
by the originators from the Toyota company. And really, the education was very intense, very quick, but very deep because we used these tools almost every day in that operation. And over the years, as I moved from company to company, because I didn't know there was any difference, I just kept practicing the application of these tools. And then in the early 2000s, I had the fortune of meeting a mentor of mine who really focuses on the soft skills side of the business and leadership development, conversational skills. And when those two practices intersected, I really started to see a huge difference in the outcome of the work that I was doing. And so then eventually I made my way to Caterpillar where I was exposed to Six Sigma and certified in that space. And that was just another set of tools that allowed me to see even deeper into more complex problems. And so the toolbox is well-rounded. The depth of operational excellence or lean is across the organization's And relationships, quite frankly, are everywhere we go. And so those things all come together in a very powerful way. I'd love for you to share with the audience one of your highlight stories of the huge wins in performance that are possible so that they get a sense of what's really possible with using these tools. They sound like, how could they really make that kind of difference? But you and I both know that they do. So why don't you share a little bit about that? Sure. And I'm glad that you kind of refocused me here. One of the terms that I got used to hearing was we never believed it was possible. So even when I go back to my experiences in the 90s at one organization, I was asked by my hiring manager. This was the very first request that he had made of me. He said, I want you to get the operation on schedule. And then he left for a two weeks vacation. And during that two week period, I applied these tools. I analyzed and mapped all of the processes within which I was being held responsible. And I found a problem with a Kanban tool, which is a lean tool that triggers the manufacturing or the replacement of goods within an inventory system. And when I identified that one area where the gap was really taking place, I made the adjustments in the system for what I discovered. And the very next day, we were able to get on schedule because the schedule problem was a lack of inventory toward the last half of every shift. And so not only did we recover the schedule, but it stayed in an on-schedule position. Well, my manager returned and was shocked to find that we were on schedule. And what he hadn't told me before he left was in this plant that was less than two years old, they had never been on schedule and they couldn't understand why that was. And so the Vice president of this division is the one that sought me out. And when he found me on the shop floor, he was the one that made the comment to me. We were beginning to think it was impossible. We didn't think it was possible what you've done. You've gotten us on schedule and we've stayed there. Great work. Keep it up. Keep going. So that's just one example of what happens when you really get into the nitty gritty of a process and you start applying these tools, what you can uncover and and what you can actually recover for lack of a better term. 
One of the things I love about that so much, that story, is imagine the frustration of working in a work group that has not been on schedule for two years. Absolutely. Like the stress of that, the frustration of that, the sense of futility that comes with that, even the burnout that comes with that. It's like, no matter what you do, it doesn't seem to make a difference. So I I love that you were able to make that tweak. Those are the same kind of results that I see sometimes in making those kinds of adjustments in the right place in a process, and it makes all the difference. Absolutely. And the idea that comes to mind as you describe that is in a learning cycle, if we don't land on some sort of change that actually achieves the outcome that we intend, we really haven't learned anything yet. Yeah, well, yeah, that's exactly right. I think what you're saying is if you don't have that kind of precision of understanding what it is you're making the changes in, and then you make them and see what results you get, that's how you learn. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I've had so many, like, experiences. I would love to share one on the show here with you that I think you and I've talked about before. But when I was at a major wireless carrier and we had a problem with clients who were customers of the wireless network who were opening up their customer website so that they could look at their bill and they'd find themselves in somebody else's account. And this happened like several times in one month, all of a sudden, And nobody knew why. And I was this person in charge of security for the wireless carrier. So they turned around and they assigned that project to me. And fortunately, I was so lucky to have a Six Sigma black belt on my team. And we went and led a workshop. But one of the things we did was we pulled everybody in from customer service, from IT, you know, anybody that could have possibly touched the process. And we got them all in the room at the same time and started mapping out the process. And what was so fun about it was the number of times people said, I didn't know we did that. Right? Exactly. So first of all, you get the awareness of really what it is that you're doing. And then people can start to understand the dynamic that happens and all the handoffs that happen. So instead of finger pointing at each other, there's this huge cooperation that happens. It starts to defocus the problem off the person or the work group and refocus everybody's attention on a process. Absolutely. Makes it. Yeah. The short story is we found out very interestingly that we had totally unexpected results. We found out by mapping everything out and getting everybody in the same room that somehow a policy had been written that had like a requirement for customer service to use a 27 character unpronounceable password every time they reset a password for a customer. And because the customer service people were required to resolve any customer complaints or any help center issues within two minutes, They couldn't even get them to repeat the password back. And so they were going out and doing a workaround, which I won't describe here, but they were doing a workaround on the internet that actually created a situation where we had the wrong Fred Jones into the other Fred Jones accounts. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we got that solved. I was so grateful because that one was, that was my 7911 issue to resolve. So I was like you, you know, you come back and you go, Hey, we fixed it. And it feels great. Doesn't it? (laughs) For everyone, actually. Yeah, for everyone. 
So yeah, there's huge wins in performance. Let's talk for a second about some of the things like the kinds of things, because I've talked about problem solving and you talked about getting things back on schedule. What other kinds of improvements would people expect in a categorical kind of way? Would people expect to see by using tools like this just to help our audience get acquainted with it? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it reminds me of a conversation that I had just earlier today where for teams to actually be successful, someone in the organization has to define clearly how do we measure success? And so what I often teach, and when I go back into my Toyota production system space or lean space, is the acronym that I use is SQDP, safety, quality, delivery, and productivity. And every process that we execute has measures that fall into those four categories. Where we get into trouble with the first one, S is for safety, is that's often associated with physical processes and that can trip people up. So the group that I was speaking with today was a human resource group, and they were struggling to make the transition. And so I said, let's just replace the word safety with risk. Tell me what risk this process exposes the organization to. And that was really an aha moment. But if we define with the sponsors, with the leadership that is responsible for the outcome, what success looks like in terms of risk, in terms of quality, in terms of delivery or lead time, and in terms of productivity. And I often translate that into the optimization of our resources, both human resource and material resource. Then we can actually communicate a target clearly to a group trying to solve a problem And without that, there's hesitation, there's frustration, there's many potential solutions that are nowhere near aligned to what the organization really needs. But as soon as we drop that clarity into a project for a team to use as this is what we're constantly checking our work against, teams have the ability to actually show up in a much quicker way the solution And they're confident that it produces the outcome that the organization needs to move past this problem and to move forward into a competitive posture in the marketplace. Yeah, you know what? You and I could trade stories back and forth for probably two hours. (laughs) I love that this applies to every conceivable department. You don't have to be a manufacturing plant. You don't have to be doing a physical like assembly process, although it's certainly powerful there, incredibly powerful. The The case study of the 777 airplane is my favorite. But it works in IT on processes. It works in HR on processes. We solved a gigantic identity and access management process for a company and changed the time to enable an account from 20 days down to six hours by using these tools. So for anybody who's listening and you're thinking, oh, this does not apply to me, it absolutely applies to you. So my next question, Adi, is it's one thing when the whole company's embraced Kanban and Six Sigma and lean manufacturing. What about when an individual finds themselves in an organization where process looks like it's getting in the way of productivity and they 
want to do something about it? How much can one individual do to try to address the issues that they see using these tools? Yes. And I think, again, that's a great question. And it leads me to another coaching conversation from this morning where an individual finds himself in a very politically charged environment because of the tension that you described earlier, where the organization recognizes a problem exists. They're not sure how to frame it. They're not sure how to define it. They're not even sure how to define what success looks like. And so there's this search for meaning in the space. And an individual can show up that has learned these different tools, these different views, and actually begin to analyze processes in a way that begins to create pockets of clarity where people, when they hear or see the clarity, they begin to align. It's the beginning of an alliance that actually allows organizations and smaller sub-communities to come together because they recognize, yes, that's the problem. And yes, that's the solution. And yes, I think if we move in these directions, but what we often miss is that common conversation or that common view of the problem that allows us to begin. And you pointed out earlier in the mapping exercise, it allows us all to see the same problem through the same lens. And what that does is it helps me to see how you experience the problem and how the next function experiences the problem. And when we all start to join together in that space, the problem feels more like ours than someone else's. And that power of solving our problem together is really what allows us to find those breakthrough solutions. They're always there. We just may not be approaching the problem in the right way to find that breakthrough solution. I've got a smile on my face so big right now (laughs) because you are highlighting the thing that I think every single person working in security or IT or big tech or software development deals with. And that is you use the phrase politically charged. And I want to unpack that for just a sec, because I walk into lots of politically charged situations as a chief information security officer. Mm-hmm. I think everything is politically charged there. But here's what I take away from that is that when you have a politically charged situation, this is the generally the kinds of elements that you're going to find. First of all, there's multiple silos. There is blaming going on. Yes. That everybody assumes the problem exists someplace else. However, they're doing that on the basis of lots of assumptions, and no one has a really clear understanding of the radical reality of what is. Yes. Right? They talk about what they think it is, or they assume that it is, but they don't know, and they can't see how to fix it. Exactly. Yeah, right. That's just this unresolved problem sitting out there that's kind of like sitting on the squashing productivity and making everybody super frustrated and they don't know what to do. That's the kind of thing you walk into when you fix stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're taking me into, I'm speaking at Fabtech later this year. And the title of that session is tools without context 
are useless. And I'm talking about the lean tools themselves, because when we try to solve problems within a silo, we actually make things worse. And so until the context, the true context of the problem for the organization is defined, we're probably going to do more harm than good. And so when I say the tools are useless, it's because they're not being used to produce the result or the solution that the organization truly needs. They're being used to produce a solution that might fit for one function, but then it just passes the problem or makes the problem worse for other functions around that intersection of those processes. Oh, yeah. Well, there you have a situation where somebody's saying, well, we use the tools, but they didn't work. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'll give a great example of that because everybody's used to metrics and IT always has like key performance metrics, technology, all technology organizations have key performance metrics, but we're terrible about metrics. And one of the things that this whole system actually highlights is the need for not only your primary metric, but your secondary metric. And let me give you an example that you and I've talked about before, Adi, about how that works. Because in the wireless industry, one of the metrics that everybody performs to is number of new customers, right? Mm -hmm. So how many new customers are you gaining? Well, back many, many years ago, when AT&T Wireless at that time came out with what they called the GoPhone, the GoPhone was intended to be able to make affordable cell phones available and accessible to the entire population. So people could literally go buy a preloaded, pre-charged cell phone for a very inexpensive price, and they would have cell phone minutes on it already, and they could use it until those minutes were gone. So for anybody who had trouble with credit or anything like that, they had access to a phone, which was great. Mm -hmm. And it drove AT&T Wireless's cell phone usage numbers through the ceiling, like We had the most customers of any cell phone carrier on the planet. However, the secondary metric, there were two. One of them was, how much does this cost us? That was important. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the second one was another metric that the industry measures performance on, which is churn rate, Mm -hmm. which is the turnover, right? And what ended up happening, I'll never forget, I will never forget the meeting where this all became clear how it was really working because we had these incredible numbers and the team that was responsible for that program had just finished presenting to the executive team. And we were all sitting there going, wow, that's really great. How much is this costing us? We were losing $300 on every single GoPhone ever purchased. Oh, man. And... What happened was instead of people reloading the phone, right, so that they kept their same phone number and reloaded it, yes, they threw it away and bought another one because it was such a low price point. So not only did we incentivize people <laughs> to charge us, basically we subsidized them throwing away our cell phones and it drove our churn rate numbers way, way, way up, right? Absolutely. So here you had a primary metric, which was, how many new customers can you get? And the two secondary metrics, which would have completely shown us that that program was dead on arrival. Yes. Right? And so metrics is a big, big piece of it. And everybody can learn how to do metrics better is my premise. These are basic tools that if our 
technology people all learned them, they would enjoy their work so much better. That's my story. (laughs) Absolutely. So that pushes me right back into those. The term that I use is sponsor, right? So we could use leader as well. But really, the sponsor or the leader is the person who has the authority to define what the outcome should look like. And a lot of times when I'm working with executives and we're we're trying to define what the problem is that we're facing, we're trying to define the business case, but I don't let them get out of that conversation until we actually get into those measures of success conversations. Some people like to use the term KPI, but I prefer measures of success because it allows me the conversation back to, and is that the success that you're looking for? And so in that conversation earlier this week, when I go back to risk, quality, delivery, and productivity, one thing that I had to help the group see that I was in the conversation with was the first risk or safety is about our people, the people in our organization that are participating, right? Because even if it's about risk to the organization, that is protecting the community in an economic way or in a business longevity way. But if we move to quality and delivery, that's defined by the customer. What does the customer expect in terms of quality and when does that customer expect to be served? And finally, in that productivity space, we're able to see the impact of resource optimization or cost, however you want to look at it. But I think you need all four of those measures of success in place so that we are clear that we're taking care of not just our people, not just our customers, but our business as well. And that really paints a much broader picture that people are able to then take those measures and evaluate their suggestions and solutions in terms of that outcome. Exactly. Yeah, metrics done right just blows the doors off of an enterprise's ability to delight its customer as well as optimize its own performance. Absolutely. Must metrics done wrong is metrics done wrong. (laughs) I guess that's all I can say. (laughs) It can delude you into believing that something is going in the way that you want it to. It starts to become the, what do people say about statistics? There's lies, damn lies, and statistics. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Metrics can fall in that category when they're not done right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, go ahead. Well, no, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And there's a connection for me when I look at the elements of operational excellence or lean that I work with my clients in, it's strategy, which is what we're talking about right now. And that is clearly defining outcomes. Those clear defined outcomes feed what I call the management system, which are those processes that allow us to evaluate the performance of our processes. And then you've got that last technical, I'm sorry, tactical space where when a process isn't producing what we expect, we actually then apply those tools that we talked about earlier to figure out where is the process broken And what changes do I need to make within the process so that I actually get the outcomes that were defined and clearly communicated out of that top level strategy layer? So it it all has to work together if it's going to be successful. And a lot of times 
what I've recognized is we've given up on Six Sigma. We've given up on lean tools because they have been applied incompletely in the past. The outcome wasn't what we expected or what was promised. And so we throw up our hands and we walk away because it didn't work. Well, I go back into these organizations and I help them put those three layers together and the outcomes are significantly different. Yeah. The image that comes to mind is somebody saying, get a screwdriver and what they need is a Phillips head and somebody comes back with a flathead and go, well, this tool is worthless. Exactly. Right. I need a screwdriver, but it's got to be the right tool, the right tool applied in the right way. So you and I both had a ton of training, obviously, in this. We both kind of grew up with it, I guess, in the 90s in our early career. And it really imprinted me, I know for sure. And you've talked about it's your whole profession now. There isn't a single job where I haven't used this with great success. So I am curious for those people now who kind of maybe felt like they missed the train on all of that opportunity to be immersed in this at work, Mm -hmm. to get the training at work. And if they're interested in it, do you have some suggestions about how an individual could go at least get information for themselves? What's the best place for them to do to go get that information and training? Well, I do a lot of that work with my clients, and we're actually beginning to develop an online training program that could be a solution. There are many organizations out there, however, that will expose you to the ideas. My fear is as I described earlier, if you only get one level of that exposure, you could find yourself becoming frustrated because the entire picture isn't painted for you. And where that takes me is my experience in the Lean Alliance certification. And when I was at Caterpillar, it was actually a requirement for one of the jobs that I had been placed into. And there are three levels, and they are very reflective of what I described before. So in the bronze level, the tactical level, it's really about understanding the tools and the experience of applying those tools. In the silver level, it is integrative. It is the managerial systems or the management systems that allow us to sustain the use of those tools and sustain the performance of our processes. And then the gold level is the strategic level where you really focus on defining what's important, creating that organizational context. But there's another element in that gold space, and that is the cultural element. And leadership presence is the term that I like to use. But if you're not exposed to those three levels in the training that you seek out, I want you to understand you're missing an important part of the total picture of operational excellence or lean. Mm. And it's the same in Six Sigma. Six Sigma is a tool. It does have a project management scope over it, and it absolutely pulls all of those elements into place if you're given the right training. And that's one of the dangers out there. Are you getting the complete picture or are you just getting pieces of it? Okay. So yeah, I may be coming at this from the standpoint, it's so second nature to me, but as I think back to it, I had graduate level training in operations management (laughs) and Six Sigma up the yin yang. Mm -hmm. So probably from my standpoint, I don't realize it's, what do you call that? Unconscious competence. You don't realize how much you know about how to apply the tools. Yep. 
So it's not just a matter of simply saying, oh, do this problem solving tool and it'll all work out fine. There's multiple layers people need to get. So are you going to do an online course? Are you going to develop something for that? Yes. So I have a workbook that I already use with my clients, and it focuses on both the management system and the performance system, which is where the tools are applied. I do a lot of work at the strategy level, but it's just like a workshop. We're in the process of developing that as not just online training, but we also want to include workshops because one of the things that I think is important, if I give you some online training and you have no interaction with the instructor, you don't have a place to ask your questions. And it's those questions that create Mm -hmm. context for us in bringing those ideas into our own workspace. And so I think it's incredibly important to give those students an opportunity to ask those questions. So there's a workshop element that we're building into this structure, but we want to do that across all three levels. And actually, there's a fourth level that I spend a great deal of time in, and that is the, I call it tactical leadership space, the best Six Sigma program or the best lean program deployed in an organization that doesn't have the right leadership presence will fail too. You've got to have both of those pieces. I mentioned it earlier. You've got to have the process improvement uh, focus, but you also have to have the leadership presence that influences and inspires people to participate. So Our presentation of this information covers those four areas, strategy, management, performance, and leadership. And that's the training that we're trying to get out there in front of those who are interested. Well, let me see if I can kind of sum some of that up with an example or two. Because for people who are in the roles like I had, either chief technology officer, chief information officer, chief information security officer. Every single one of those roles has to cross all the silos in the company. Yes. And the onus then becomes on you as a leader of the organization, number one, to make your customers happy, which is usually other people inside the company, or... And I guess I should say that your organization, you can do so much to reduce frustration and burnout and everything else with clarity around how to optimize the processes within the organization. I'll just give another quick example. And again, this is a, a cybersecurity example. But when we had to put in place an incident response management, which basically was identifying any incident that came into the company, triaging it, containing it, resolving it, right? Doing a post-mortem on it and doing process improvement. That's usually a very complicated process that involves a lot of people and can have a fairly long time frame. We were able to get that process Six Sigma certified by using these tools. And what that meant was we had such precision about what we were doing that it was highly repeatable. We got the same kinds of results in the same kind of time frame over and over and over again. That is golden when you're serving customers and when you're dealing with risk in an organization. So what I'm hearing you saying, Adi, is that this is sufficiently layered and complex enough that someone probably shouldn't just go out and pick up Kanban 
for dummies or, mm-hmm. or Six Sigma book and read it and go, okay, we're going to implement this. It's highly, and I'm not really trying to sell anything here, but I, I am repeating something I think is a true statement is it's worth bringing in somebody who can help you. Yes, I absolutely agree. Get that with done the proper way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I just want to put my hand up and say, please have me on your beta testers when you get your course done. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I would love to do that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah. So I think we answered my last question already, which is what advice would you give to someone in the technology space from a process improvement standpoint mm-hmm. who want to make their workplace better? Yes. And let me add a layer to that, because I think this is I think this is a situation that a lot of people in the technology space experience. And that is frustration with the application of different technology. And let me explain where I'm going with this. I work with one organization that absolutely hates the MRP system that they have. It was designed for another business. There was a merger. They spread the MRP system across the entire organization, and it's simply not aligned with the business processes in this recently acquired company. And in the conversation that we were exploring another problem, one gentleman in the room said, I know exactly the software that'll solve that problem. And I stopped him and said, is it anything like what you're using today in your MRP? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, in this case, you were handed an application that you didn't know whether or not it was aligned to the way that you manage your processes. And part of the problem that you're experiencing there is you're forced to change your decision-making process to align with the requirements of the software package. I said, you got to get that turned around where you understand your process first. You understand the requirements of your process. You understand the requirements of your decision-making process within that. Then you can actually go out and look at different software packages that are aligned to your business process. And the problem is when those technological applications don't meet the needs of the organization, Who gets blamed? IT. Well, IT didn't cause the problem. IT was told, here, this is the solution that I want you to implement. And IT may have never even been given the requirements to consider. And so if we can arm IT with these approaches, these techniques and tools to better define the process that we want to apply technology in, I think IT can be a whole lot more successful in the implementation of these applications in terms of solving the business problem they were asked to solve to begin with. Oh my gosh, that's so universally true from large organizations all the way down to entrepreneurs. If you if you want to find a way to save a bundle of money, understand the business requirements and then find the tools that fit the business requirements, not the other way around. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man, I could, we could go on and on (laughs) because this is just so near and dear to my heart. I've seen such improvement in companies and in lives of people. I guess that's where it really comes down to for me, whether it's a customer who's trying to use something that you make for them 
or whether you're on the back end doing the engineering and the development and dealing with processes and frustration on that side, this just has such incredible potential. And I think you're right about it. You know, I think you mentioned earlier, it has kind of fallen out of favor, it seems like, because there were enough bad experiences that people said this doesn't really work. Mm. Take it from Audie and me, it really works. (laughs) You just have to know what you're doing and bring in some outside help if you need it in order to make that happen. So we're like way over time, but we could keep going, I know. Absolutely. But this has been so great to talk with you. And let me quickly just ask one last question, and that is, what is the best way for people to find out about your company and the services you offer and get in touch with you? I would send them to our website, www.faro.partners. There's no com on the end of that one. And I think that would lead you to the conversation. I mean, we're a conversational group. We want to know and understand what your problem is if we're going to help you. We're not cookie cutter. We don't try to just apply everything that we know. It's very situational, and we have to understand what your challenges are to really provide you with a solution that meets those challenges. So we're going to invite you into a conversation, figure out what you're looking for, and try to figure out if we can help you solve that problem. Perfect. So Faro is F-A-R-O. That's correct. Dot partners. Faro.partners.com. That's correct. All right. Cool. Listen, you can't go wrong, people, with quality management tools. It will make your life so much better. I highly, highly encourage you, invite you, cajole you to take a look at it because it's, it's a game changer. Hey, I can't wait to talk to you again. We have so much fun every time we get together. And thank you so much. I appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I've had fun too. That's it for today's show. Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast is part of the ecosystem of knowledge sharing and affordable group coaching to help reverse the trend of women leaving tech and to help diverse women in male-dominated industries get the visibility, opportunities, and compensation they deserve. Be sure to check out our five-day challenge by visiting us online at createyourleadingedge.com. Like what you hear? Subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you listen to the show. We'll be back again next week. Be well, stay strong, and remember, be an ally. Thank you.